Scott, this episode, as always, is supported by our good friends. Where? Need Essentials. I love my Need Essentials puffy jacket, my wetsuits, and my board shorts. And I've been wearing my puffy jacket a lot because it's been cold, as you know, David. We have a low-pressure system moving through Southern California right now, and it's chilly. And I'm toasty warm in my COVID-19 garage office where it's freezing. My uh, Sadly, my Need Essentials wetsuits are sitting on their hangers in the closet, dry as a bone, getting no action, desperate for the water, but the outerwear. Actually, it rained here pretty heavily yesterday, so I wore the slicker. The outerwear. Yeah, needessentials.com for everything you need for the beach and the mountains. As we see some movement at the takeoff zone, it's Kelly Slater grabbing rail. A clean entry, this thing holding open, it spits. When it spit me, I thought it was going to spit me off my board. Comes out with the spit, spits him out. Comes out after the spit, gets spat out of another good-looking wave here. Spit, spit, spit. We're just spitballing, right? Yeah, guy. I'm going Yeah, guy. Yeah, friggin' guy. Welcome, everybody. This is the Spit Podcast. A special coronavirus edition. It is Wednesday, April 8th, the year 2020. And uh, my name is Scott Bass. And of course, my co-host, David Lee Scales, who I'm looking at via this new platform that you've helped us create. David? Uh, I'm thinking this might be a good solution for us, dude. This could save a lot of freeway time. I agree. I'm, I'm down with it. I, I feel like you're, you know, I can... I can kind of read off of your facial tics and and the chop exactly. up and everything. I you know it helps. I can um, watch you ignore me rather than just listen to you ignore me, like we have when we record <laughs> remotely. Otherwise, uh, so for listeners, um, we normally record in person, obviously, but then we've tried to do some remote episodes a few times, and the tech has failed us, or maybe I've just not done my due diligence to find the right tech that is available. Um, and now there's cheap and easy solutions. So I think we might have found it where the dynamic isn't stilted. Yeah. You know, because that's that's the hiccup when we're not in person, the dynamic is stilted. But now we can stare into each other's uh, gazing eyes. Don't say it. Don't say it. <laughs> so I want to ask you about Huntington Beach because I, um, I saw some Instagram posts yesterday of firing Huntington Beach. This low pressure that was over Southern California created some wind situations, which seemed to be um, ideal for Huntington yesterday. Did you happen to see the surf? Did you get in the surf? What's the deal with surfing up in Orange County? Uh, there's definitely people surfing. And yeah, the waves are pumping. I didn't go check it, um, but I saw the cams and some footage of people who were surfing it. And it was all time, dude. Yeah. I mean, it's cringy to not be able to go, but... Uh, not to bury the lead, but I have not been surfing. I'm just kind of abiding by the CDC, I guess, is protocol of just don't leave, don't interact with anybody. And the reality is I think that I could probably go surf safely, not interact with anybody else. Um, But it's just, there's kind of a bigger picture here, which is who cares if I write off two months of my life where I'm not surfing for the greater good, who cares? Don't risk some of the minutia that could be um, a legitimate risk for other people, you know? Yeah. I'm sort of struggling with the, um, 
the teenager inside of me that's like, screw everyone, I'm going surfing, you guys are all lame, blah, blah, blah. And the adult in me, which is like, hey, man, how about being an adult? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, do the right thing, follow the rules. And, so where, um, where are you the, landing? Well, the adult's winning out, which is, okay. you know, nine times out of ten a good thing. But I got to admit, I am kind of secretly going, okay, I literally had this thought this morning. Like, I'm like, okay, I know a spot where I can kind of park in a neighborhood, put on my full suit, and then on top of my full suit, like put on the clothes I'm wearing now, you know, and run down to this little zone where that's kind of off, you know, like behind, it's it's kind of a backwoodsy kind of zone. And I'm thinking I could bury a surfboard, you know, like put a surfboard somebody and stash it and then do a real early session, like, and only for like 45 minutes. And then come in, like, don't don't push it. Come in, rebury the board, put on the clothes, and then just walk back to my car in the neighborhood and get in my car and drive away. Like, that's the kind of thoughts that I'm having. Just, this you know, is, I'm, just I'm just being honest. I'm just going there, okay? So I'm not you've saying lost I'm doing it. it. <laughs> what you're admitting to is that you've lost your mind. <laughs> well, it's been lost for a while. So is it illegal to surf in San Diego right now? It is. Okay. It is. There's okay. no surfing at all in San Diego. Now, I looked on the – yesterday, as you probably know, guys were surfing lowers. Guys are not surfing lowers. Lowers is closed. They have shut down lowers. As of, it's as of today. Yeah, and it's – this morning, I saw the four to five feet, maybe bigger, and nobody out. And roping. Good, good. And, yeah. and lifeguards on the beach ready to write tickets. What's interesting is I, I looked at church, and there was two guys surfing at church. Oh, really? And church is sort of a, a weird little zone there because it's it fronts the Camp Pendleton, the Marine base. And so there might be a little bit of leeway for some Marines or some people that can get on the base. I'm not sure, but I did see those are the only two guys I saw in San Diego County surfing. Wow. Yeah. Um, so what is the fine if you if they get if you get busted? I believe it's a thousand dollars. I think there might be some discretionary leeway there, but. A lot of it might depend on your attitude. Um, Would yeah. you paddle out at lowers? If you could surf lowers, knowing you're going to get the $1,000 fine when you come in, but also knowing that they're not going to come out and get you out of the water. So you could, in theory, stay out there for, I don't know, five hours. Would you do it the way that it looks today? 1000 bucks to surf lowers? By it's, yourself. And it's pumping. What if other guys paddle? <laughs> I don't I'll, think so. I'll, in tell this you scenario, why. they won't. Okay, in this scenario, this is a hypothetical. I'm more concerned with the back end of that action, which might be more than a fine. It could be jail. But even worse than that, it could be front page of Surfline. I don't really need my mug spread out as the guy that was so selfish that he decided to, you know, You're walk spinning this. You're spinning yeah. this all wrong, dude. There's no such thing as bad publicity. You could turn this into the greatest advertisement for the boardroom <laughs> show ever. It's not the guy who is so selfish. It's the guy who loves surfing so much and wanted to test out a new board that he defied all, I don't know what. Yeah. I don't know. No. I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sure I'm that billboard. guy. I'm no. not sure I'm that guy. You were that guy I... two weeks ago. But that's before there was a ban. Dude, how crazy is it how much changes in two weeks? I know. So Friday morning, 
I got the word Thursday night from a guy, a high up authority lifeguard figure that, that <clears throat> Friday at midnight, it's on. They're going to ban the crap out of this thing. So Friday morning, I was on it early. And even then, there was only a few places you could surf. And I got some fun waves and came in. And sure enough, Saturday was locked down. I mean, they were writing tickets. You may know this. They were writing tickets here in Encinitas for people that were congregating to watch the sunset. So, you know, I guess my question to you is something I've been thinking about is, first, would you do the little the little super stealth mission where you park in a neighborhood and kind of walk down with clothes on with a wetsuit underneath it and then retrieve your board from some buried ice plant zone that you're in and then paddle out at a place where there would, no one would see you, by the way, like there's no yeah. houses overlooking you and then surf. And then like, it's kind of doable. I mean, there's something in deep, you know, the, the teenager in me is like, and the, and I don't know if it's rebel, but, I just feel like it's doable and it's not, you're not really putting anyone, no one sees you, no one's going, Hey, he's doing it. Let me do it. You know, that's right. sort of the fear that if you go to a place where people can see you, that you're, there's going to be this monkey see monkey do attitude. Right. Would you do I, that? I would, if things got desperate enough, I'm not at that point of desperation yet. Like if well, we were in month six of this lockdown and it's the scenario you said, where I do feel like I could execute this without, risking my health without risking anybody else's health without anybody else being enticed to do the same. Absolutely. I would do that. I break laws like that all the time. I speed on the freeway. You know, it's like, uh, there's plenty. If we were all honest with ourselves, we're making that exact negotiation every single day in our lives in different ways. Right. Yeah. And, and I kind of feel like if that's something that we're willing to uh, look at as an option, then I'm kind of like, well, I need to go start um, doing some reconnaissance on this. Like I could actually sure. go down there today and and do it like a dry run. Right. You know? Start, just bring a shovel on day one, start digging the hole. Got a shovel back here, kind of hidden. Exactly. Pull it out and just. Exactly. No, no, this place, this place I'm talking about, I can't, obviously I can't give it up. Even You're here. already narrowing it down too much. There's <laughs> ice plants. There's no houses. There's no ice <laughs> there's You no just ice said plants. there's ice plants. I was just using that as a generic covering right. for the board. Nice backpedaling. <laughs> uh, so the, again, I, I do feel like there is a um, kind of a much bigger picture and implication for these individual actions than just the actions themselves. So to me, it's more important right now just to uh, stay home, to not interact, to not try to service my individual impulses, you know, like my individual impulses. If I leave my decision-making up to those, I'll kind of probably not serve my best interest. So there's this overarching thing, this solidarity with humanity we're all in this together. David, shut up. Stay home for two weeks. Get some work done. Focus on bigger picture stuff and be a part of that community. If things got out of control or if things got really desperate six months from now, then maybe I'll start worrying about my own impulses. But this is a two-week period, maybe more, where I'm going to focus well, on a bigger picture. That's how I feel about it. So some of, them, some of the national authorities, namely Dr. Fauci, are already putting it out there that this – 
this thing could minimum be at the end of May. Like they're already saying, look, best case scenario is end of April. But realistically, we're feeling like this is more like end of May, like that's already being thrown out there. And with that, let me lead into this, which is if it's the end of May, um, the WCT, I think June might get postponed. If we're in lockdown through the end of May, if June gets postponed, that means the first event, I think, is J-Bay in July. Yeah. It means no G-Land and no We uh, Rio Pro or whatever it is called. Was that what it's called? The We Rio Oi, whatever. We, that's probably in France. Yeah. But um, so we're looking at a July, late July start. And I sent you something that a couple of weeks ago that I know you saw, and I want to bring that up. And But before we go there, let me ask you this. Which competitor, and I know you know the answer to this, but it, it should start a conversation. Which CT competitor benefits from a shortened season? And we're looking at five events, maybe maybe six, if they do J-Bay. Um, which, which CT surfer benefits? And historically, obviously, Gabe Medina starts slowly each year. Um, who do you so, think gets a jump on the field? Who, who does this benefit? Uh, well, it's an interesting question because um, does Gabriel start slow each year or does he just thrive in the events of the back half of the year? Because you yeah. could just say, if you look at his track record, he's quarterfinals at J-Bay, he wins in Europe, he wins at, or at least quarterfinals and finals at Pipe. So those are strong events for him. Or like you said, does it just take him a while to get things going? Um, to answer your question, I think Philippe, not Felipe, uh, Idolo is the strongest going into the season, regardless of where it starts. John John, depending on where his knee is at, would be an interesting bet. Um, what are your thoughts? Well, my thoughts are first, I don't think I, you and I both know Gabe can rip the crap out of snapper rocks and bells and anywhere else in the world. So the idea that he doesn't shine in those locations because of the locations, I think is, is sort of a false premise. I, I, I feel like the guys he's in, we all know he's incredible. So I think his slow start is more to the fact Ripping that it's versus competitive. I'm just saying you both you know that he's competitor no matter where he's at. And it just so happens that in Australia yeah. he, he's like, "Look, we got 11 months. I'm just I got a long season and I'm just going to take it as it comes and build some momentum." Yeah. You know, I mean, I think that that is more likely. So, um I would here's a here's a funny thing, right? Last time we talked about CJ Hobgood shortened season, five events in 2001, he became the world champion. And at the beginning of 2001, you weren't necessarily going to go, yeah, CJ Hobgood's the favorite going in. You could argue that the shortened season helped CJ and, and created a champion that we didn't expect. So if we're seeing a shortened season, which we are, what is, who is the champion that we don't expect? And I'll throw out a name that I think is one, and it's Ryan Callanan. Wow. Yeah. He, he's an unexpected guy, but he's got the chops. He's, he's absolutely, I mean, le- last season he, he looked legit. I think he's in the top, top 10 on the CT. I'd have to look, but that's I'd, a name. I'll look right now. I don't even think he was on tour last season, dude. I think oh, he got wow. some wild cards. He was on tour a couple seasons ago, but um, fell off, didn't he? And then he got wild cards 
a couple I hope of times not, this or I'm, season. <laughs> I'm looking like I didn't do my I'm research. Pretty, I mean, I'm pretty sure he, I mean, I know he qualified for this 2020 season, but I don't think he was officially on in 2019. Yeah. Um, I'm scrolling right now to find it. But I agree with you. Like, he's a phenomenal surfer. Uh, I just don't know how you define him as being a better bet to come out of nowhere than Yago Dora, say, or, you know, Wade Carmichael or something. Okay, Callanan is set, sitting in 14th going into 2020. Yeah, so, I mean, there, I mean, Yago Dora, I mean, look, he's had a couple of moments maybe. But same with Callanan, right? Like, what's the difference for Cal- with Callanan for you? I just feel like Callan. I, I just feel like I remember seeing some events where he was just solid. You know, he's just solid. Um, I, I can't okay. recall which ones. I just, I think to myself, here's a young, solid, goofy foot. That's, um, you know, I guess I was kind of thinking along the lines of CJ Hobbit, like a young, hot, goofy foot that's that's solid competitively. I think Callanan was on tour and didn't he get bumped off and then requalify? Yeah, you're right. It does. I take everything back. It looks like he was on in 2019. He finished 14th. He finished uh, third at Bells, which is obviously a semifinal finish. And then he finished fifth in France. So those were his highlight results of the year. Well, who's your guy? Who's a guy that shortened season sort of would be a surprise? You would think it would be some guy that comes that's come in right around there in the you know 15 and between 15 and eight or something like that. So I guess is a new thought for me. I have not uh, kind of thought through this exercise. So I'll just talk my way through it as I'm thinking of things, but the people who benefit from a longer season are people who have consistency. So Kanoa Igarashi is going to benefit from a longer season. Um, Certainly Idolo last year, so who is it? No, you got It's got to be somebody like outside of the top ten, right? Or eight, right? So who has yeah. kind of like rock star performances randomly? Jack Freestone. Jack Freestone randomly finds himself in a semifinal and then loses five events in a row in last place. You know, um, Julian Wilson. Yeah, that's some, the one. Somebody that's at. he's kind of suffered from, or jo- Jordy Smith, but he's in the top five he's somebody that suffers from a lack of consistency, but has the explosive power to win events as well. Um, so he could be an interesting one. I like your Arcal pick though. I mean, that definitely fits. What about Kyo Abelli would be the ultimate somebody sponsorless who finds himself in semifinals occasionally could put together yeah. a string of five events. Yeah. It's funny. I know you're looking at the um, rankings as am I. And basically when you look at 11 through 20, you're like, it could be any of those guys. Like they're, you know, you couldn't really argue against any of those guys benefiting from a shortened season coming out of the 20 season, 2020 season as our world champion. What are you, what are your thoughts on Kelly in this scenario? Yeah. You know what? He's the wild card. That's actually fascinating. He's a dude who has every, all of the things required, like obviously the competitive background, the competitive savvy, the history of winning. Plus he could focus for five events. He could focus, laser focus on five events and enforce enough willpower just to get the job done. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. He's more qualified than anybody else. In fact. So in a weird way, it's kind of it's kind of fascinating and it's kind of fun. Like if there's any way to put a positive spin on this, it's like, hey, we 
we might really see, I mean, we're going to get a concentrated season here and every single heat is going to matter. And it's going to be kind of cool. I mean, that is if the WSL follows through with those events at the back of the season. I'm wondering at this point if they do. Well, I guess we're all in wait and see mode. Um, I, I will use this time to, to kind of talk about what you talked about last time and what I sort of um, kind of vetted out a little bit more, which is this idea that it's the opportunity for the WSL and for Eric Logan and his crew to do something different. And I looked at the schedule, and there's a five-week break, David, between J-Bay, which en- ends July 19th, and the t- the Chopu event, which starts August 26th. So between July 19th and August 26th, we have five weeks. And that was supposed to be the time for the Olympic Games. The Olympic Games have been postponed. So I sent out this thing to you basically saying, hey, the WSL could produce a specialty pay-per-view event which again is sort of on the tails of our last discussion. It could be in the Mentawise, perhaps at the Kandui Resort or the Kandui Villas. Um, it's it's only fifty five hundred miles away from J Bay, so you end J Bay, and you know it's basically a flight from you know California to New York. Not that bad. Um, and you call this thing, for lack of a better term, the five circle challenge which brings in the Olympics without getting the Olympics suing you, right? So you've got the five-circle challenge. It's $100,000 winner take all. It's in that five weeks, and you get eight surfers to do this thing. And you pick one from each nation state. So you've got Idolo. You get JJ, John John Florence from the USA, Kanoa from Japan, Owen Wright from Australia, Michelle Berez from France, Jordy Smith, and, and Leo. Fear of Avanti from Italy. You've got eight guys. You only need three or four IT guys, um, maybe five judges, just one on-air talent, as we talked about last time. The rest of the talent can be there in Santa Monica and pay-per-view this thing. And I think it would be pretty cool. And you you, you create the format so that like you're just going to run it for one day, one epic day at Kandui Left. Yeah. You know who's uh, setting the precedent for this? Red Bull. Dana White with the UFC. Oh, that's right. He just bought an island. Yeah. (laughs) So, okay. So you're going to touch on where his first place is, that casino. Like that's in Lemoore, right? That's the Tachi place by Kelly Slater's surf ranch. Wait, who? Okay. So Dana White announced yesterday that he's going to do, he's, he's got a location that will supersede the federal stay at home mandate and it's a, a tribal land and it's the Tachi Palace and Casino in Lamar. Are you kidding? I didn't see that. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, that's where he's going to hold UFC events and then in addition, he got somehow he bought or is rented or leased yeah. a private island somewhere. Exactly. And I don't know where that is, but somewhere. it hasn't it hasn't been disclosed as of yesterday. Um, probably Jeffrey Epstein's island somewhere out there ooh. near Bermuda or something. <laughs> Um, there's, t- there's literally hundreds of thousands of islands available out there that we could yeah. do this on. Um, maybe not all that have the infrastructure, but there's a lot of islands here. It's even better if they don't have the infrastructure, let's do a jungle fight. You know, let's go real <laughs> raw. <laughs> we'll sit in the trees commentating. Um, so yeah, Dana White, uh, he's in the final stages as was reported yesterday, <clears throat> whatever the final stages are for securing the Island, but they're going to run the, 
UFC, I think it's 249, as soon as April 19th. It was already scheduled for April 18th, I think, so it's only going to get postponed by one day. And he's going to have fights weekly from that island. So he's going not only doing a one-off event, but like going full steam ahead with the concept of just, we want to keep our business running. We have more access to viewership now than we ever have before. We have captive audiences. I'm one of them. We're on top of this. So I I love it. Whether or not he's going to execute or not, I love that he is the Ringling Brothers. Like he is the showman, you know? Yeah, I, I'm I'm a guy that's sort of jonesing for live sports. Everything's been shut down. Um, I've been watching tons of reruns of sports, which has actually been really fun. But uh, I'm jonesing for a, a real live event. So I'm not a UFC guy, but I could see myself tuning in and buying in and doing you know being being involved in this just because it's the only game in town. Which live sports have you been watching reruns of? Or not live sports, but which sports have you been watching reruns of? I've been watching the NHL Stanley Cup playoffs, which are awesome. Are they? I absolutely, yeah, I'm a huge, I love hockey. So I've been Um, watching a lot of that and a lot of golf. And boxing. Yesterday I watched Ali fight Joe Frazier, 1975 in the Philippines. And then I watched Ali fight Leon Spinks. It was awesome. The reason why I'm asking is, I've been watching old surf footage. Obviously the WSL is publishing stuff out of the archives. Um, And then other people too have been posting like Tanner Godowski is posting old surf videos and lost posting their old videos. And I'm going to kind of make the argument that old surfing is better than new surfing. Hmm. Like it's so there's, you can take it really far back to when like Phil Edwards or something is uh, finding trim. And, there's elements of that that you want to incorporate on your high-performance thruster. Of course, the high-performance thruster allows you to do all sorts of things that Phil Edwards' board wouldn't allow you to do, but you can lose track of trim if you're just focused on whatever Felipe Toledo is doing. So it's good to kind of go real far back and reset some of the fundamentals. And then each step, each era along the way, like when we talked about that Jeff Hackman footage at Sunset, I was able to watch that at the time and draw kind of inspiration from it for modern what I'm writing now. So then going back to what the WSL is showing right now is 2001 footage from Bells. Everybody's boards, there's more volume. It was before things got really, or maybe it was right after things got really chippy and they kind of got back to a little bit longer boards and they're just getting so much drive out of those boards, you know? And I'm thinking, and they're not really trying to like blow the fins out on every turn and it's bells, of course. So they're not trying to, but just watching the lines that they're drawing made me want to reset some of my fundamentals for my high performance short boards that actually can do a lot more than those boards can, but I want to get more drive out of them. I want to set, you know, a bottom turn. I want to not speed check. I want to, there was, um, Specifically, somebody, a friend of mine posted footage of Martin Potter from an old surf video surfing Cabo, somewhere down around Cabo San Lucas. Yeah. And Potter just, he was so powerful. You know, he'd get up and just drive off the bottom, like push into his board. And the pushing into his board projected him so far forward. 
and he'd go into the lip with so much power. And it was so seamless between the transitions between the turns were so seamless that I just thought to myself, I really need to get a little bit more volume. I really need to just drive, push into the board. I can't wait to go surfing again to try what he's doing, you know? Um, Bring a shovel. You can join me. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So anyways, all of this is to say I had the thought of watching old surfing provides so much insight into my modern surfing. I wonder if watching old baseball provides, certainly it provides nostalgia, but does it provide insight into modern baseball? So with hockey, is it that you're watching the Stanley Cup because the Stanley Cup was important or is it actually providing insight into viewing modern hockey? No, it's just it's just great competitive sport. I don't think I'm going that deep into it. First of all, I don't skate. I'm not a hockey player, so I don't I don't appreciate any of the stick skills. I'm just more into the absolute athleticism that's involved when they play. Yeah, yeah, totally. So, it's but I do know what you mean about surf. You know, watching old surfing. I mean, good surfing is good surfing is good surfing. You know, if you see Phil Edwards, you're like, God, I'm pretty excited on the way he's surfing, I'd like to go, you know, implement some of that or Martin Potter. I know that footage of Martin Potter you're talking about. I think it's from surfers, the movie. Yeah, it is. You're right. Yeah. And it's really cool. And, um, yeah. Well, so, so I but my you. point is you're watching the Stanley cup because that was an important pinnacle of a season. But if you just picked a random NHL game out of the middle of a season yeah. in 2001, it wouldn't yeah. be necessarily relevant, you know, no, whereas, I wouldn't surfing, whereas with surfing, it is relevant. If it's yeah. good surfing, like you said, yeah. my other thought about Potter, and this is kind of a broader conversation. Um, he's lost so much of his freaking animal instinct, like try, like seeing Potter then and how raw and powerful and aggressive his surfing was and trying to reconcile that with the Martin Potter that we see in the booth now, who has completely lost his edge and is advocating for surfing at 70%, it's irreconcilable. Yeah, it's kind of like going to see like um, Kiss Muhammad or Motley Crue. Yeah. You know, like, like you're, you know, like they're 70 years old and they're playing like, you know, three power chords and you're going, dude, you know what? It's not the same. And then you see somebody like Tom Curran and you're like, you know what? It's as good as it's ever been. Cause that's like going to see Steely Dan where they're just like absolute nuanced, incredible jazz going down. And it's as good today as it was back then. And yeah. I just think that that raw, you know, that, that sort of raw, crazy surfing style, look, you get older and you, and the edge wears off, but the edge doesn't wear off a current cause there never was an edge. It was just the smoothest buttery thing ever. His style was timeless from the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. Um, have you been watching any of the old WSL footage? No, not really. I, I think I might have tried at one point, but I'm just, no, I'm What's watching hockey. <laughs> yeah, apparently. What's interesting to me is um, obviously we know the world champs. So it's good to see Joel Parkinson when he was young, Mick Fanning, Andy Irons at Bells for, in 2001 was insane. But all of these fringe figures are actually almost more interesting. Yeah. Nathan Hedge. Holy yeah. cow, dude. I mean, that guy surfed unbelievable. And somebody posted footage of him recently on the Gold Coast, and he's still sharp as attack. But Nathan Hedge, Chris Davidson, you know. Um, David. 
Devo, and they kind of talk about him being um, out of control. He was a partier and not being able to kind of wrangle that. And he even admits in their like, you know, uh, confessional style interview, he's like, yeah, if I can get my head game together, you know, I know that I could really make a charge. So you can lump him in with Martin Potter. You could lump him in with Chris Dave or uh, Chris Ward in the lost videos that they're showing now on YouTube and Andy irons, like I said, and you kind of wonder if there is a way to wrangle that wily out of control ambition, or if wrangling it completely neuters the surfing. Yeah, I don't know. That's a great question. I mean, yeah, does it water it down to, do they get soft? Do they lose their edge and lose some of their spontaneity? I don't know. It just seems like every generation there's Davos, you know what I mean? Of course. And, yeah. And but you want to, you want to, all of Davos managers at that time, I'm sure were saying, Hey dude, uh, don't be so wild. <laughs> don't be so aggressive. But if he listened to them, he would become the next Adriano, or maybe not Adriano. Cause Adriano has a world title, He'd but be the next bead Derbage. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Perfect example. Yeah. And that's not what you want. No. You know, no. Um, Chris Ward in What's Really Going Wrong, which Lost just posted, the closing section is one week in October when he was 16 years old, and it's him mainly surfing lowers, some Rivy, some uh, Salt Creek. He's freaking shredding so hard in one week in 16, at the age of 16, puts together this section that would still like set the internet on fire today. It's gnarly. You yeah. Know? And just yeah. completely unfettered. Like the lines that he's taking, it's just all really, really raw. It was freaking awesome. And I, I remember loving that section at the time, but it's yeah. really something to go back and watch now. And it hasn't aged at all. It's still super relevant. Feels like the first time. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> is that a journey reference? Or? I don't know who, Wait, no, who is that. That's not journey. Somebody, um, some yacht rock, like hauling oats or somebody. I don't know. Uh, the other detail, though, that I love watching about that old footage is the boards. Yeah. The boards are like really kind of focusing on every bit of water that's displaced by those boards. Yeah. Epic old Shane Powell footage on his Instagram, too. Yeah, Again, you're involved. Old footage is better. Old footage is better. <laughs> uh, you know what I was thinking about with you, actually? So the WSL has all this um, content in their archives. How good are you at keeping archives? What do you mean? I've got some archives. <laughs> <laughs> like all your boardroom stuff over the years, like you'd, oh. you generate a lot of content in any given year. I know yeah. you've, writ you've written a ton for Surfer Mag and other publications. You've made yeah. films. You've made 1 million podcasts over the years. You've hosted trade shows. Can I go into your garage and find a catalog of each year, each month of each year with everything meticulously filed away? Yes, you can. No, no, probably not. I do have some stuff, but it's not meticulously filed away. It's sort of scattered around amongst, you know, workout equipment and whatever. Do you? But I have some stuff. Yeah. You, you have every article you've ever written? No, thank God. There's some horrible ones. <laughs> There's some truly horrible ones. <laughs> uh, um, 
not to get too far off track here, but yeah. with this downtime, yeah. How are you? Are, I mean, are you actually being productive with it? Are you writing? I know you you have a talent as a writer. Are you exercising that talent? What are you doing? Okay. What I'm doing is um, I'm doing a little bit of um, – I'm doing actually a lot of small business administration loan stuff, trying to get all of that shit together. Yep. Um. Is it going to make you a business, a better business owner this downtime? Yeah, I'd like to think so. You know, um, I produced, I'm in the middle of producing an e I put, I produced an email to my clients showing them all the resources that I'd uncovered so that they can access some of the SBA loan programs that are out there. I sent that out. Yep. Just yesterday, all day yesterday, I, I created an email for, everyone, consumers and everybody that I'm going to send out later today, I believe, which has a curated list of all the exhibitors I've ever had so that they can, the end user of the email can click on the link and go visit and maybe purchase or whatever. But I just thought it'd be a good service for people to have. So I've got all these board builders, all these wetsuit guys, all these fin guys. Yeah. So I've been doing that. Um, And, you know, just kind of trying to support the house too. you know, like do some exercise, um, stuff like that. Yeah, I find the same thing. I'm going back and um, doing some kind of fundamental business management stuff that have just put on the back burner for a long period of time, you know, so it's kind of good. It's good to have that downtime. And frankly, I've been I've also had large quantities of just. stasis, you know, like where I'm just, I feel, I feel kind of like, I'm not that I'm unmotivated, but I just feel like I'm shackled, even though I have all this free time because of all the COVID shit and all of the, all of the stuff that's happening and, and everybody's in lockdown and you can only go out. I just, it feels like I'm not taking advantage of it as as good as I can. And I, and I wake up motivated and I do stuff. And then other days I wake up and I'm not motivated. I'm like, Oh man, this is lame. I'm just going to watch Ozark. Well, that's a good choice. Um, there's an emotional exhaustion that comes with processing all of the COVID information. Yeah. Like I feel, I do feel at the end of any given day, more stressed out than I did when I was actually juggling a lot of, you know, work details and driving on the freeway and stuff. Um, So there's no, you need to acknowledge that and then not feel too guilty. It's not laziness necessarily. It is actual exhaustion just from an emotional stance. But what I do think is you can combat some of that with physical activity and sunlight. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Because the days that I do get out and about, I do certainly feel a lot better and I am more productive. If I, even if I just get up in the morning and like do a little yoga routine indoors, I'm more productive throughout the rest of the day than if I get up and start scrolling my phone. When was the last time you got in your car and drove somewhere? This morning. Oh, wow. See, I haven't even, I haven't got, I haven't gotten into my car since Saturday. Wow. I know. That's crazy. I know. Right. So anyway. yeah. Uh, in hey, terms, I've got a story. Yeah. You want me to, you want me to talk about surfing? Cause I don't think people want to hear about me. 
Um, they're going to need Netflix <laughs> recommendations. You just said Ozark, and I applaud that choice. But I also wanted to follow up and tell you that we watched Blinded by the Light after you recommended oh, it last time yeah. we talked. It was epic. Yeah, it was, it was funny really, movie. really good. Yeah, really lighthearted, feel good, uplifting. Um, for listeners who didn't hear that or don't remember, it's about a kid in England, Pakistani kid in England, who's an outcast and like, you know, just doesn't feel like he fits in. I want to say in the mid to late eighties and finds the music of Bruce Springsteen and really connects with that. And so the movie is populated with Bruce Springsteen music and, um, it's almost a musical in a sense, but really well done and charming. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a. A really fun movie. I'm glad you watched it. Um, okay, I'm going to segue. Is that all right? Yeah, let's let's hear it. Well, first, you know, when I was mentioning the five circle challenge, it might have slipped past you, but when I named the surfers, it was basically the first place surfer from each nation state on the WCT, yeah. except for John John Florence. The actual surfer there would have been uh, Kano- or um, Kolohe. Kolohe and Dino. So what do you think about if they did a five circle challenge and they put in John, John Florence instead of Kolohe, how do you feel about that? I feel great about it because I want to watch John, John Florence surf. That's kind of how I felt about it too. And it's not that I don't want to watch Kolohe, but if we can only get one guy from the USA, so the the reason why I feel that way is I don't know what John John's going to do. And that's what's exciting. If you tell me Kaloe's in there, I know what Kaloe's going to do. So who's the one guy from Australia? Owen Wright is the guy in first place on the, on the rankings. And he's, he's more than acceptable, but is there another Australian you'd rather see as an end user? Than I'd, Owen rather Wright? Watch, I'd rather watch Julian personally. Yeah. You could throw R. Cal in there. You're Ryan. I was. Your I would agree. I agree with that. And yeah. Ryan probably fits better with what I just said about John. John is he's more dynamic and uh, less predictable. So that's exciting about R. Cal. But you know, by the way, Gabe Medina wasn't in there, and to me, that's a mistake. You have if you have John John Florence, you have to have Gabe Medina. So. And so you might need to mix this up a little bit if you're at the WSL and just, but if it's the five circle challenge, the kind of under underwriting theme here is that it's one guy from each nation state, much like the Olympics, which is not happening. So let's have our own little mini surf Olympics. I've got your solution. Yeah. It's still the five circle challenge, but you have two competitors from each nation. Is that too many? Now you're looking at 16 guys. I guess that's not too many. You could have a 16 guy event. That's yeah. the perfect number, actually. Yeah. Five, five's not enough, or eight's not enough. 32 so, is too many. So you, so how do you, how do you fix South America, or how do you fix France? I've got Michelle Perez. Um, do you just consider it Europe and throw Leo and Michelle in there, and then no. Jordy? No, you, you get, get you get involved. Uh, so for France, you get Michelle Perez and Jeremy Flores. That's an easy one. Yeah. Italy, Italy, Italy will have, or not Italy, uh, Leo Fioravanti right. will have a hard time finding a partner to team up yeah. with who's yeah. like of that caliber. And yeah. yeah, South Africa, do you bring M. Febs back? 
No, but I think there's another oh, guy on tour from I, South Africa yeah. that we're Matthew, missing. Matthew McGillivray. Just right. That guy's on tour, right? That would be the guy. So that would be kind of fun yeah. and a new face. I couldn't even tell you if he's a regular foot or a goofy foot. I think he's regular, but how bummed is he? I know, right? Like his rookie season on tour is completely kind of shaken up. I mean, well, no, I guess right, he'll still right get now he's, Yeah, and he's in – Right now he's in the running for rookie of the year, so that's kind of cool. <laughs> Good silver lining there. Yeah. Anyway, um, look, with the Olympics being postponed, I thought I'd offer a look into sort of another dour moment in amateur surfing, courtesy of Matt Warshaw's Encyclopedia of Surfing. Perfect. And that's the 1972 World Championships, which were held in San Diego. David, there's a lot of darkness here. First off, on a cultural note, by 1972, the groovy and ideologically driven everyone love each other vibe was gone. By 1972, the summer of 68 had been distilled into a few songs and bumper stickers, but certainly the shroud of the Vietnam War hung over the USA like a a dirty wool coat of a homeless person. The Watergate scandal was just beginning to unfold. Tune in, turn on, drop out. That had soured into tune out, turn off, and go home. The 1972 World Championships might be viewed as the hangover of our nation's late 1960s all-nighter. This event is considered competitive surfing's lowest point. To start with, David, the event was held in mostly dismal, crappy little waves in Ocean Beach, San Diego in the fall of 72. And defending men's champion, Rolf Arnest, did not even enter the event. Nor did the four previous men's champions, Midget Farley, Philippe Pomar, Nat Young, and Fred Hemmings. None of them were there. Further that, the 1968 women's champion, Margot Godfrey, also passed on this event. Five weeks before the 72 World Contest was scheduled to begin, Organizers confessed that they didn't have the required operating funds, and the contest was called off. Three weeks later, after a flurry of emergency meetings, the event was suddenly back on. But financial irresponsibility abounded. The contest programs were withheld by the printer because nobody could pay for them. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. There was a new Chevy sedan on loan to the world event from a local dealership, that car was stolen. Competitors that were staying at the San Diego Travel Lodge acted as if they were Led Zeppelin. They broke the elevators, set off fire alarms, launched food fights, rang up enormous unpaid phone bills, and generally ran riot through the Travel Lodge. Drug use was rampant with plenty of marijuana smoked and cocaine snorted. And I quote, It was a fucking snowstorm, recalled Hawaiian star Jeff Hackman. I remember driving around San Diego with some Peruvians one night, snorting coke. And when we ran out, the guy who was driving pulled over, went to his trunk, brought out a pound bag, and just opened it up right there in the car. The preliminary rounds of the competition were held in decent, contestable head-high surf at Oceanside. But competitors were disappointed because Newport and Malibu all off limits to the contest 
were doing a far better job of picking up what turned out to be the year's best south swell. And of course, trestles technically in San Diego County was pumping, but it too off limits, probably because of the Nixon presidency and the Western White House, which overlooked cottons and uppers. David Nueva was favored to win the world title in 72. He surfed well in the preliminaries, even after his favorite board, a wide-backed two-finned fish, was stolen. The board turned up the last day of the event, broken in two and dangling by a rope from the Ocean Beach Pier with the words good luck inscribed via spray paint across the bottom of the board. It is widely believed that San Diego locals stole the board in retaliation, feeling as if their fish design had been ripped off by Nueva. Nueva went on to finish runner-up in the event to the eventual winner, Hawaiian Jim Bleers. Future world champion Peter Townen finished third. Hawaii's Larry Berleman and Michael Ho, the contest's most progressive surfers, placed fourth and fifth, respectively. The unmitigated failure of the 72 World Championship was close to a death knell for American amateur surfing. The big South Bay Los Angeles surfboard labels like Greg Knoll, Dewey Weber, and Hap Jacob struggled to keep up with the transition era shortboard changes. Frankly, they lost interest, and by the early 70s, backyard boards were common. The 1972 World Championships helped usher in a commercially static period for the entire California surf scene. Six years passed, David, before the next World Championships, the 1978 World Championships held in South Africa. Based, or excuse me, past. These passed by virtually unnoticed. Just 48 surfers from six countries competed in the sparsely attended one-day event, a men's division-only contest, and apartheid politics prevented Australia from sending a team. Of note, the waves were big and perfect. David, it wasn't until 1984 that this event would return to California. And therein ends our history lesson from Matt Warshaw's Encyclopedia of Surfing with an edit and some revisions by yours truly. Fascinating. I like it. Yeah. Uh, I would have, I would have competed in that. I mean, it, nobody refers to that world title for Jim Blears as a asterisk, right? No, absolutely not. Exactly. Exactly. I would have competed just to take advantage of all the talent that wasn't in the lineup. You know, I would have seen that as my one opportunity to make it through a heat. Yeah. There's actually footage of this event on YouTube somewhere. You can hunt it down and you can see how crappy the waves were and you can see how dismal it was. It's something about the sort of choppy, grainy, semi-black and white sort of colored footage just makes it look like a hangover. And it certainly yeah. was. Yeah. Um, 1984, the event came back to California. There was a, f- a future world champion that won the juniors division. So my question to you, and take your time here, who was that future world champion that won the juniors division in 1984 of the uh, ISA World Surfing Championships? He won the juniors division. He would go on to be a world champion, ASP, WSL world champion. And in 1984, he won the juniors division. I'll give you a hint. He was from Australia. 
Damien Hardman. Yes, that is correct. You nailed Thank it. You. Good. Didn't word. even use Google. I saw that you were you're doing it right. So anyway, um, with the Olympics being canceled, I thought I'd throw some um, some more dour amateur sadness on you. The seventy two World Championships. Uh, it's good though. I like it. It's so um, surfing. You know what I mean? That's a perfect representation of surfing in that the business end of it can't get its act together. Everybody's irresponsible and the athletes are doing drugs in the bathroom. You know, like that's <laughs> what it comes down to basically. 1972, man, in Ocean Beach, California. I'm sure you, there's a you, lot more than weed and Coke going down. You know what though? It also reminds me, uh, that these are the opportunities for ripe growth and potential. Like I've said it probably on our past show, but like some, there will be fortunes made through this downtime. Um, And as like everything gets dismantled, like there's certainly going to be brands that don't survive this board builder brands, clothing brands, everything. The industry will be a different version of itself when we come out of this. And that's going to leave real opportunity for fertile grounds of growth for either the businesses that do survive that can take advantage of the lack of competition or for brand new brands who see new opportunities. There's just going to be new opportunities, period. Well, so I, I think it's exciting. Yeah. I mean, if you look at the 72 world championships as, um, as a, this low point that it was, very quickly, all eyes in the surf world was on Hawaii. And by 74, 75, you've got, you know, the Duke event is getting some sponsorships. Smirnoff comes in. In 75 and 76, they have the World Pro-Am, the Smirnoff Pro-Am, held in huge waves, YMA and Sunset. Um, Fred Hemmings and Randy Rarick see that there's opportunity here that – Doing these things in crappy small ways in California is never going to happen. We have sunshine and paradise. Let's create a world tour. Within four years of that world event, we have um, our first IPS world champion in Peter Townend. And basically that starts the whole, um, again, Hawaii really blossomed from a surf media standpoint. Everyone was going there. It was the center of the universe. And these events took off. And then you have, of course, the busting down the door scenario that went down 77, 78, 76, 77, 78, whatever time frame it was, those mid-70s. And it was a fertile moment. And that's what you're speaking to is that there are opportunities here. um, And what they are, where the disruption is, um, I think we're going to see it play out rather quickly. And I think some of it is competitive surfing, frankly. I think... I agree. I think, I think we're going to, I think the paradigm is going to be broken. And, and I think the first one that goes to a UFC format is going to be the winner here. I don't know if we need, I'm not saying we don't need a world tour or to declare a world champion. I think we absolutely need that. But what that looks like, I think can be changed forever. And, and we can use this moment as a, a way to point and go, look, Let's just change things. I think even the WSL and um, Eric Logan himself would agree with that statement prior to the COVID crisis. But 
it's such a risky move. Nobody wants to be the person that shakes everything up completely. It's a risky move and you're always going to have haters. This gives him a complete free pass to shake it up completely. In fact, he's forced to. It's already shaken up. So you either run a crappier version of what the model was by starting in July, or you take the opportunity to do something completely fresh and new, which why wouldn't you? Yeah. I mean, it's again, like if you look back at the ASP dream tour before the WSL was involved, it would be difficult because you've got so many different stakeholders. You've got rip curl, you've got Quicksilver, you've got Hurley, you've got Billabong, you've got all these stakeholders. They each have their own event on the tour. They're the ones sort of behind and backing this thing. Well, they're all gone. You don't have to worry about them. The only people you have to deal with are probably Jeep and whoever else, you know, Michelob Ultra, whoever it is, you know, whoever their sponsors are this year. Corona, incidentally. (laughs) Oh, I know. What a bummer. I hope the next virus is called the Bank of America virus because Corona is getting a raw deal. I mean, this thing should be like Wells Fargo virus or something. You know what I'm saying? Did you just watch Dirty Money? No. Oh, okay. Dirty Money's a series on Netflix. They did a great episode on Wells Fargo. Wells Fargo, Bank of America, I'm not a big fan. No. Of either no. of those no. so-called institutions. Correct. So the next uh, one should be the Wells Fargo virus. Let's just totally. go ahead. Corona's getting a a bad deal here. They'll they'll survive. So uh, we shall see if the if this disruption takes place or if somebody else steps in and just goes, Hey, you know, boom. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, I think there will be radical changes no matter what I'd be actually, to be honest, I'd be shocked if those five events in the back season actually take place period full stop, maybe the pipe event will, but like you said, say things, uh, we all get out of quarantine at the end of May. It's not like Jan, uh, June 1st, the airports are full again and everybody's flying around the world. There will be a slow kind of trickling lag back into what we once knew. And I think that that process is honestly months and months and months long. You know, so I think June turns in, rolls slowly into July, rolls slowly into the end of the year. And it's just not feasible to pull off what they were pulling off, even in July, even in September. Look, we talked about this last time. The regional aspect of this disease is can't be overlooked. Like just because the United States is back in business, like slowly, let's say in August, Indonesia, a third world country, we have no idea what's going to happen there. Right. Like, do they have the hospital? Can Are they even testing? How many tests do they even have? We don't even have tests. How does Indonesia have tests? So right. all these areas on the tour that are sort of, I don't want to say they're third world, Indonesia's third world. South Africa, I guess, is a first world nation. But my point is, is that they're, they're going to pop at different times. We're not all popping at the same time with this disease and then all sort of you know, flattening the curve, so to speak, at the same time, even within the United States, as we discussed last time, different regions, different states are popping in different times. And and that's going to happen worldwide. So yeah, it's going to be weird. The U.S., there's tremendous variation with what's happening in Southern California versus New York. You know what I mean? Like New York looks apocalyptic and Southern California kind of looks like regular 
Southern California, just with not a lot of people outside. So yeah, yeah, a lot to manage. But again, at this point, the idea of even them running the five events, it just seems pretty far fetched. Well, wh- I mean, which is the event you were really excited about this year? Pipe. Oh, GLAN. Exactly. That's G-Lan. the one. And what does that tell you? Something new, something fresh. In a weird way, that was like that felt like the UFC version. That was like, okay, we've broken the paradigm a little bit here. Like that's the one that you, everyone's going, oh, that's going to be fun. Yep. You know. And totally. if anything, our excitement about that should tell the WSL that you know, I think we're a pretty good marketing, you know, very small sample for sure. But if you and I are excited about GLAN and everyone was, yeah, I mean, except if you were going there, <laughs> then you were bummed out. But um, so I had another thought to follow up your conversation about who could be a sneaky world champ this year. Jack Robinson. Has there, how many people have won a world title in their rookie year? Wow. I guess Kelly, did Kelly do it? I think Kelly did it. PT did it because <laughs> okay. that was the, the, the rookie year was the only year. Um, I think Jack Kelly Robinson, did it. Because especially if, I mean, certainly if G-Land ran, like Jack could do well at J-Bay. Jack could do well at G-Land. Jack could do well at Pipeline. You know, that'd be an interesting one. I mean, J-Bay's even on the, J-Bay might not happen. I agree. That's G-Land I mean. before J-Bay, right? Yeah. yeah, G- yeah. G-Land, then, then Brazil. GLAN's in June. I don't think GLAN's happening. No. I think they need to move GLAN to Kandui or move the date. I don't It's. I know that they're having these conversations already, at least about logistics of, of moving shit around. And if you look Again. at other sports, sports leagues, they're going, man, I mean, even the football season now, some of the college football programs are going, uh, I don't know if we can do football without fans. Yeah. So anyway, again, it's an entirely different thing. It is. You know, it's like when you go into a restaurant and they say, uh, here's our version of, here's a club sandwich, but it has like curry in it and it has all these different things. You can't call that a club sandwich. That's your own. You could call it a curry club sandwich, but you can't just call it a club sandwich. So the WSL can't have a championship, a CT season this year. If it's all different ingredients. It right. just becomes a different thing. Yeah. Well. My f- club sandwich is my favorite surfing maneuver too. Yeah. Th- I'm going to do a curry club sandwich at my little secret spot with the shovel. <laughs> I would love <laughs> to see what your cl- curry yeah, club sandwich looks like. Basically, it's me getting up to my feet. Basically, that's it. A <laughs> um, couple of thoughts before we go on COVID and your uh, how you're spending your time. Are you annoyed? Are you sick of anyone in your house yet? No, no. I love everyone in my house. Good answer. <laughs> Your kids are home from college. It's tight quarters. Everybody's They're happy. I have, I have been, I have been um, taking a, some guitar lessons, actually. I've been practicing a ton of guitar. And my son's been doing that with me, and that's been fun. And they're both, they're both doing great as far as not going out with their friends. Like, they're both, they're hunkering down. And they're doing the right thing. So, yeah. But, yeah. uh, Who's giving you guitar lessons? YouTube? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. You should live stream those like Kelly and uh, Tom Curran. No, I put some video of me playing 
guitar and it didn't go well. People were like, you're a kook. I'm like, oh my God, I'm out. I got all sensitive and deleted it. That's hilarious that you, yeah. why would you care? Because I'm, you know, you know I'm you're a sensitive, insecure male. I, I want people to like me. And when people don't like me, it rubs me the wrong way. My point is you're not putting it out there saying, look at how polished my guitar playing is. No, you, know, no. you know that you're, you know, at the level yeah. that you're at. And so when somebody validates that, who cares? It's funny. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, you know what it is, is it's not on brand. You know, oh. like you're, you've, you've taught me, you know, stay on brand with your Instagram. Yeah. It's all about you're surfboards. Eating. Yeah. True. Surfboards yeah. and uh, the people who ride them or what's the tagline? Waves. Yeah. Waves yeah. in the. Surfers only care about two things. Waves and the equipment to ride them with. There you go. Perfect. Everything else is bullshit. Are you, uh, with your time at home, are you gaining weight? Are you losing weight? Are you no, becoming a chef? I'm doing the fasting. I'm on the um, intermittent fasting and I'm working out. I've got a TRX. Oh, nice. I've got gear to work out with. My daughter's working out every day, so she's inspiring me. And yeah, so. And we watched Ozark and, we wa and we're watching Narcos. Um, and it's funny. We're not really watching too much TV. You know what we're doing? We're playing hearts. Oh, nice. Every night we play hearts to see who does the dishes. Funny. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. And um, I'll show you like right here. These are not the hands of somebody who washes dishes. I've been winning. <laughs> <laughs> um, so have you watched Tiger King? Yes, absolutely. Loved it. Did you really? Yeah, I thought it was great. I was kind of bummed when – did you watch it, David? Yeah. Okay, so you know how they went to who killed the woman's husband, the, the husband that died mysteriously, that disappeared? Don Lewis, Carol Baskin's husband. Right, Carol Baskin's husband. So when they moved away from that part of the storyline back to the Tiger King, I was bummed. I was fascinated by the mystery of Don Lewis, and I still am. And I wish they would have focused more on that. I think that's where people really got hooked. And it was, but what a fascinating documentary, the way that the editors brought this thing out. It was like, it, it just kept piling on and piling on. And it just, you know, you made, it made you feel good about who you were, you know, relative to this, these freaks. So uh, the FBI's reopened investigation into Carol Baskin's husband's disappearance based on the documentary. It's fascinating, right? And you may recall the part in the story where the lawyer looks at the last will and testament and says, who would write in the case of my death or disappearance? That term or disappearance is hardly ever put in a will. Nobody thinks that they're going to disappear. And that part of it just made me go, okay, this is weird. And and I, I don't know if Carol did it, but Carol definitely did it. Thank you. I, <laughs> I agree. Um, I don't, I think it's pretty far fetched to think that she fed him to a tiger, but what? I think he's involved <laughs> for sure. I think that I think the tiger feeding thing was I'm in I'm in on that too. Dude, she's so nuts. What I loved about the documentary is that it starts off with a um gay polygamist meth addict who has 180 tigers, right? Or big cats. And you think, wow, that's about as crazy as it can get. Then they introduce Carol Baskins, and strangely she's crazier than he is. And then they introduce Doc Antell. 
that guy's running a full blown cult. <laughs> it's like it's each person is crazier than the previous, and it's like at least Joe Exotic wears it on his sleeve. He goes, "I refuse to wear a suit. I've had some kinky sex. I've tried some <laughs> drugs, you know." And then Carol Carol masquerades as running an animal animal sanctuary but she's honestly running the most despicable zoo of them all. She's not even paying her employees. All of her employees are free interns while she's making millions of bucks. Those cats in her quote sanctuary look way less happy and their cages just look crappier and they have little feeding slots for their head to go into to get their food. Like she's her, uh, unethical animal treatment is more egregious than those other guys, certainly yeah. more than Doc Antell's, but she's masquerading as an activist. And Doc Antell also thinks almost that he is a guru. He's completely oblivious to the irony of the scenario that he's in. And then Joe exotic again, completely owns it, you know? So to me, Joe exotic was actually strangely the protagonist in this scenario (laughs) he's the one you're rooting for you know like it's kind of weird he's he's still a despicable human being because he was basically um preying on runaways and then drugging them in his kind of makeshift prison (laughs) that shows tremendous man i mean that is a gold mine if you're a documentarian dude i gotta watch it again i've watched it once and i was I've been talking about it ever since, and I need to rewatch it. You know what I heard is that what they edited out of the of um, Joe Exotic was that he's pretty racist, oh, and they man. they just put it on the cutting room floor because it didn't really help the storyline at all, and it probably would have helped would have hurt um, the potential for it to get distribution. But apparently, he's really hardcore racist, which is unfortunate. Well. The um, you remember there was the guy who was actually shooting a reality show for them that never ended up being purchased. Yeah, I saw an interview with that guy, and he said the documentary doesn't even begin to show the absurdity of living at that place. He's like, and all of his footage got burned in that very yeah. suspect fire. <laughs> this whole show is tremendous. He goes, he goes, dude, the footage I had, you would it would have blown your mind. And he goes, even the documentary had footage that they left out because it didn't serve the ultimate storyline. But he got, he had two years of therapy after the whole thing to process his PTSD because the things that he saw on a daily basis were so traumatizing. Um, Joe exotic killing animals just for fun. You know, like some woman couldn't take care of one of her. It was a horse and he advertised as being a sanctuary for animals. So she brought the horse there and like cryingly left her horse behind. Like, oh, I'm so sad that I can't take care of my horse, but thank you. And Joe patted her and hugged her and was like, we'll take the best care of this horse. The moment she left, shot it in the head. In front oh my of the God. Tiger, laughed about it and then fed it to the tigers. Oh so my God. Just complete absurdity. So I jokingly said that he's- Where did you see guy. this? Where did you see the interview with that guy? So David Spade has a show on Comedy Central, I think, and he is recording everything remotely now. And he did an interview with basically all of those side characters from the documentary. And that was one of them. Oh, yeah. And that dude just fully opens up about it all. He's just like, dude, I saw crazy things. 
that wow. you would not believe. What you guys saw, what you think is crazy, is 5% of the tip of the iceberg. Where do I find the David Spade thing? It's on his Instagram. It's on his YouTube and his Instagram. Okay. So Cool. I'll check that out. David Spades. Yeah. All right. I got a Duke and a must-see moment for you. Okay. Duke is Julian Wilson. Really? Yeah. All right. Uh, he stayed local. but I think I saw this. Yeah. Went into his local uh, surf shop and the WSL matched his purchases. So $2,000 of donations um, and $1,000 of food and coffee voucher at his local, um, you know, coffee place called the Autumn Rooms. And that's available for any frontline workers to go and pick up free coffee that will just come out of that deduction. Uh, Nurses, police, firemen, anybody in a uniform looking for a cup of coffee to keep them going as a thank you. He also purchased a surfboard from his local surf shop for a local 10 year old boy who um, had been current previously borrowing his dad's boards, purchased a catch surf for another kid. So just kind of went out in the community, spread some money around to keep the economy rolling. And then also gifted the boards to kids and gifted the food and uh, coffee to frontline workers. So Julian Wilson, shout out Duke of the week. Very good. I will second that. That's cool. I'm glad to hear that. My must-see moment is the Lockdown Film Festival. So previously branded as the London Surf Film Festival, rather than canceling the whole show, they're turning it into the Lockdown Film Festival. Each film is available for 24 hours only. These events, these are event screenings for all of the world to watch together. The screening is accompanied by a Q&A with the filmmakers. So later today, I'm actually going to interview Nathan Myers, filmmaker Nathan Myers, about a film that he did with Taylor Steele called Here and Now. And uh, I don't know when that will be published. It'll be in the next week or so, but I'm going to record with him. They'll run that as like a Q&A before the film screening, and you'll be able to watch that for 24 hours. But they've got a bunch of great films, uh, like basically a dozen or so that'll be running for the next week or two. That's LockdownSurfFilmFestival.com is where you can see that. And it's all for free, which is crazy. Yeah, go check that out. Okay, well, I guess then on the footsteps of yours, as you may know, I interviewed uh, Tim and I think Ed and um, and the other gentleman's his name's losing me right now, but they produced a film called Dirty Old Wedge, which I know yep. you've seen. Tim Burnham, really, Tim Burnham, really cool movie. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, the history of the wedge is fascinating. All of the great B-roll that they had is a filmmaker's dream come true. And um, so Dirty Old Wedge, is, I don't know if it's still available. I think we put it up. I think it went live Friday for the Lockdown Surf Film Festival. But um, Dirty Old Wedge, it was fun interviewing those guys. And I enjoyed the heck out of that movie. So that's uh, my must-see moment. I don't know if it's so available. You might know more. It is. Well, I was going to say the uh – Film is not available anymore because it's past the 24 hours. But your interview, the conversation with those guys, Edwin Eversol was the guy's name you were thinking about. And Jack, yeah. Jack Murgatroyd. Right. Murgatroyd. Yes. Yeah. Um, that conversation is available on LockdownSurfFilmFestival.com. So that's super cool resource for everybody. I will uh, share with you one thought that I had as I've been watching all the old Lost videos that they're putting up on YouTube. Music in modern surf films is not nearly as memorable as it once was. I think that the music is as good now, but maybe we watch new films only once. 
Whereas with the VHS days, we would watch them over and over and over again. But I watched some of those lost videos and the music is so tied to the surfing. Like I hear that song and I remember exactly which turn is coming to the next drum beat. And I know where I was in high school when I was obsessed with that song. You know, I would then, I would record, I'd put up a boom box next to the TV and push play and record at the same time and record the soundtrack from the video. Take that cassette, take it in my car with me and drive to high school every day and listen to that soundtrack. And so that the music is so um, tied to that entire time of my life. Whereas in modern surf films, it just doesn't have that connection anymore, which is sad to me. Yeah. You know, that's, that's a good point. Um, that movie, the surfer, the surfers, the movie has a bunch of really great music too, that you go, Oh, that's incredible. Yeah. So yeah. Music's important, you know, and speaking of music, last time I had you play sign in stranger by Steely Dan, right. To end yeah. the show. Did you like that song? Yeah, I did. I like it. Had him. you heard that song? Yeah. Um, I thought I'd suggest something for us, which is John Prine. Me too. That's what who I was just, gonna who just passed away from COVID-19. And I've got a song. I'm sure you've already got one picked out, but um, I was going to suggest Angel from Montgomery. My favorite version of that is the one with Bonnie Raitt. Okay. Well, there you go. That's a possibility. Or just John doing a song called Pretty Good, which is which is a little bit more, uh, you know, of a deep dive. But yeah, I'll let, I'll let you like, determine. I know Pretty Good as well. Maybe we just do like three or four John Prine songs and let him play out the show. I, uh, I, would, I would appreciate that. I'm, yeah. I One of my favorite John Prine songs is actually a cover called Clay Pigeons. Are you familiar with this? No. Gosh, I'm going to... I'll listen to it. My brother sent me a John Prine uh, playlist this morning, so I I wonder if it's on there. So I'm sure that it is because it's actually one of his most played songs. Um, There was a guy named Blaze Foley. Do you know the Blaze Foley story at all? No. Okay, I'll send this to you in an email maybe afterwards because it's worth... uh, Ethan Hawke wrote and directed a film about Blaze Foley. But Blaze Foley was like this singer-songwriter out of maybe like Alabama or somewhere there about in like the nineties who was really prolific and has since his passing has garnered the affection and admiration of everybody from John Prine to um, Bob Dylan and all of these super important people, but got taken advantage of multiple times in the music industry, but also in his personal life. So every time he was about to kind of have something good happen, all of his demo tapes got stolen, you know, or he got screwed in some sort of a way. So his story has been now documented. Mm -hmm. I think the story started being told with the advent of like the internet and blogs. There was a bunch of people following him, going to all his underground shows. And um, then he died I'll leave that part a secret, but because <laughs> I don't want to spoil it, but um, yeah. all of these kind of basement tapes, quote unquote, end up in the public awareness. And so John Prine does a cover of one of his songs called Clay Pigeons, which has then become one of John Prine's most famous recordings. And it's super good. So we'll play all of that stuff as the episode rolls out. Um, crazy though, with the deaths related to COVID-19 and, the famous people who have actually contracted. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's a bummer. Boris Johnson. Yeah. Tom Tom and Rita, Tom Hanks, Rita Wilson. <clears throat> yeah. A couple of deaths related to it, so it knows no bounds. Yeah. Do you know anybody who's contracted it? No, but I'm wearing a mask in public. Are you wearing a mask when you go out of your house? I don't have one. I mean, I could make manufacture one, but I, I yeah, don't have. Put on a bandana or something. Yeah. Do you got gloves? Are you wearing gloves? No. You're part of the problem. You're not allowed to, to come down to the surf spot. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> oh lordy! All right, surfers are the worst. Well, Scott, at boardroom show. Yeah, at Where boardroom show in, Instagram. Um, yeah, at boardroom show is the Instagram. And at, at Boardroom Surf is the Twitter account. And Sweet. of course, boardroomshow.com is the website. And that the Boardroom Show is taking place September 26th and 27th, the Delmar Fairgrounds. So we're excited about that. And you just uh, a podcast huh? earlier this week for people who want need quarantine content. You just posted a podcast earlier this week with Hank Warner, right? Was it Hank this um, week? No, Danilo Cuoto, Brazilian That's big wave surfer. He's involved with the. Um, Big wave risk assessment. Um, brag. Water. Yeah, brag. He's involved with that. And super fun guy to talk to. Really good guy. Awesome. Yeah, man. Right on. Well, stay safe, dude. Yeah, thanks for doing this. Let me know how it works out. It seems like it's working out good. This might be an answer to our video issues. And recording for any – you can record with anybody around the world. Right. Kind of remarkable. Squadcast. How much was it? We'll talk about that later. <laughs> okay. I want to pull down our drawers no. on it. No, exactly. It's it's oh. very, very expensive. <laughs> no, it is. Thanks to neatessentials.com, we are able oh. to uh, make this happen. That's so right. That's, all right, Scott. Okay. Until next time, adios and aloha. I'd like to bring out a friend of mine who wrote this next song, John Prime. <laughs>
dog But she was doing good Till she went in the woods And got pinned up against the log Pretty good Not bad She can't complain Cause actually All them dogs are just about the same Moonlight makes me dizzy About the people I meet The car wash on the corner And the hole in the street The way my ankles hurt With shoes on my feet And I'm wondering if I'm gonna see tomorrow Father forgive us For what we must do You forgive us We'll forgive you We'll forgive each other Till we both turn blue Then we'll whistle and go fishing in heaven I was in the army but I never dug a trench Used to bust my knuckles on a monkey ranch I go to town and drink, give the girls a pinch But I don't think they ever even notice me Father forgive us for what we must do You forgive us, we'll forgive you We'll forgive each other till we both turn blue Then we'll whistle and go fishing in heaven Fish and whistle, or whistle and fish Eat everything that they put on your dish And when we get through We'll make a big wish that we never have to do this again Again, again Oh, my very first job I said thank you and please They made me scrub a parking lot down on my knees Then I got fired for being scared of bees And they only give me 50 cents an hour Father forgive us for what we must do You forgive us, we'll forgive you We'll forgive each other till we both turn blue Then we'll whistle and go fishing in the heaven
fish and a whistle, a whistle and fish Eat everything that they put on your dish And when we get through, we'll make a bigger wish That we never have to do this again Again, again Oh, Father forgive us for what we must do You forgive us, we'll forgive you We'll forgive each other till we both turn blue Then we'll whistle and go fishing in the heaven We'll whistle and go fishing in the heaven We'll whistle and go fishing in the heaven Station, gonna buy a ticket to ride. I'm gonna find that lady with two or three kids and sit down by her side. A ride till the sun comes up and down around about two or three times. Smoking cigarettes in the last seat, sing the song for the people of me and get along with it all. Where the people say y'all I sing a song with a friend Change the shape that I'm in And get back in the game And start playing again I'd like to stay But I might have to go To start over again I might go back down to Texas Or go to somewhere That I've never been Get up in the morning and go out at night and I won't have to go home Get used to being alone Change the words to this song And start singing again Questions that I already know I could build me a castle with memories Just to have somewhere to go Count the days and the nights That it takes to get back in the saddle again Feed the pigeons some clay Turn the night into day And start talking again When you know what to say 
going to the Greyhound station, going to buy a ticket to ride. I'm going to find that lady with two or three kids and sit down by her side. A ride till the sun comes up and down round about two or three times. Smoking cigarettes in the last seat. Sing my song for the people to meet and get along with it all. Where the people say all, feed the pigeons some clay, turn the night into day, and start talking again. When I know what to say.